Welcome to another episode of The Carpenter Shop, a limited edition podcast presented by War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. Once a month, we take a deep dive into director John Carpenter's colossal canon. Sometimes we discuss a film we already know and love. And other times we discover a gem for the very first time. Jake, what's on the docket today? We've got a review of John Carpenter's 1983 adaptation of Stephen King's novel about a ravenous roadster with a motive for murder. Yep, I'm talking about that candy apple red 1953 Plymouth Fury... Christine. Plus, we'll run down the noteworthy new releases hitting theaters this weekend in the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League preview. And we've got something you should definitely check out in really rad recommendations. But first... Hey, Jake. Hey, Chris. You ready for the old uh, John Carpenter Newswire? I'm always ready for the John Carpenter Newswire. All right. So this week we've got a couple of music related items and then uh, something else that I was actually planning to recommend. So I, I'm glad we just get to talk to talk about it up here, actually. So coming out October 20th. So depending on when, when you're listening to this, this is all this is either about to come out or has just been released or maybe it's been released 18 years ago. But the John Carpenter anthology album that we've been talking about uh, over the past few couple episodes. It's it's finally coming out. So um, this is just to recap on it. Uh, this is an album that John Carpenter has gone back and he has re-recorded several of uh, the themes and uh, noteworthy tracks from the scores of his films over the years. I'm glad you explained it because when you said John Carpenter anthology, you got my hopes up on a box set that I've been waiting forever to buy. <laughs> I, you know, Jake, I, I would love a John Carpenter box set. I don't think we're, we're ever going to get one. It, I think it would be tough because he's worked with so many studios and generally those are packed in, you know, as the studio will have the, you know, like here's mm-hmm. the Martin Scorsese box set because he's worked with Warner brothers so much. That sort of thing. Yeah, it, it, you'd have to have a really motivated fan base really asking for it and somebody who worked out all kind of legal stuff. I don't see it happening either, but I'm I'm always like, I wish I could just buy a big binder with every movie in it. Yeah, I mean, I think the closest thing you could maybe get is the stuff that Shout Factory or Scream Factory has of his, which is mm-hmm. quite a few things. I mean, they've got The Thing, Escape from New York, uh, The Fog. Um, and, they, and they release they them on live. Steelbook. And well, those were, yeah, those were a special, those three were a special release. Um, but they, they have a, they have a ton of Prince of Darkness. A lot of his stuff is released by them. So like if they were at this point, I have most of them. Like I think Elvis Mm -hmm. is one of the few that I, I don't own at this point, but if they were to release a, uh, a box set, I wouldn't even like, I would be beyond, uh, needing it. Look, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. The, the anthology album's going to be really good anyway. That was that was not mean to, meant to steal your thunder. Yeah, no, sure. And and so, I mean, we talked about uh, on the last episode, maybe the one before, um, you know, he released actually a re-release of Christine um, where he, he re-recorded it. He directed a music video for it. Um, I'll put that in the show notes again. Um, I'll put a link to this album. You can, you can get it on vinyl. Um, you can also get digitally if you want to do that thing. Um, but this, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see or to hear the rest of this. Um, I don't think Jake, did you hear the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross? Uh, I did not Halloween theme. You didn't hear this. No, I saw, I saw it was posted. I, I didn't, I didn't get to play it. Oh, it's so good. I've listened to it maybe half a dozen times a day. Um, it's so Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, who have collaborated on several soundtracks 
they covered John Carpenter's Halloween theme. And it's really, really good. And they, of course, released it on Friday the 13th, um, as, as they should. And you know what is the, uh, like the cover art for it, Jake? Uh, I, I saw it. Why don't you describe it? It is Michael Myers, aka The Shape, uh-huh. as Bob as a ghost it is that you know in in the last episode i was talking about how that's one of my favorite you know moments my favorite stills in cinematic history and they they put it on the cover and i was very very happy about that but uh no you should definitely definitely listen to it check it out i bought it um it's really good it's really really good i'll put this in the show notes as well yeah speaking of the updated versions uh in that christine music video one of the things that i really like about the original christine movie was not there which is, I love just the, uh, the I guess you would call it the typeface, uh, or how, how they did the actual lettering for Christine with a big S coming down in the middle. It was just some normal, like, font. It just was Christine in red. I was upset. I was genuinely like, where, where where's the damn Christine logo? You know, at at the Horror Master on uh, Twitter, you can let him know that you're angry, I guess. <laughs> how dare you not have that S drop down? You <laughs> and, don't know a thing about Christine. <laughs> and speaking of Christine, speaking of the score for Christine, this is also coming out uh, a re-release on blue vinyl uh coming out the week after october 27th so uh you can look out for that as well this is and this is john carpenter's score this is not the soundtrack i know christine is pretty heavy in um sort of like 50s music in the soundtrack and some george thorogood uh but this is all i would call most of that dialogue but we can just get to that later too (laughs) but um oh that's that's true that's 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 a fair point um, but this is, this is Carpenter's score for, uh, for Christine, which we can, we can get to that a little later mm-hmm. in score the score when we score the score out of a score, obviously out of a score. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the final note, the final thing, uh, coming across the John Carpenter newswire is I believe I've mentioned this, uh, maybe once before on the, uh, uh, on the show, but a, a bit more information has come out. So um, I was actually going to recommend because this episode is the last episode before Halloween. I was going to recommend a John Carpenter anthology comic book series called John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night. And uh, the reason that I was going to recommend it was twofold. One, I finally got my hands on it and it's uh, it's pretty good. So it's uh, a, a series of, I think there's, there's two volumes out now. There's a third one coming out. Um, I believe at the time of recording this next week on the October 17th. Um, and they are 13, 12 to 13, uh, standalone sort of stories within contained in a volume. And they've been releasing these for the past three years, um, around Halloween each year. And, uh, so one, like I recommend, I recommend you, uh, at least pick up volume one, see if you like it. It's, it's pretty good. You know, they're, they're standalone stories. They're fairly short. They're a fun little read if you, you know, need to kill a little bit of time. But the exciting thing is I had mentioned a while back that, uh, Carpenter was developing this, or there was, there were rumors that he was developing this, um, for, uh, the sci-fi channel. And actually I, I should step back. Uh, his wife, Sandy King, also his producer, um, is actually as much, if not more involved with this than he is actually, she is the like editor of the, uh, tales for Halloween night series. Really? Yeah. And so, uh, a few weeks ago at, I believe it was New York comic-con, 
Um, she did an interview with, uh, with sci-fi talking a little more about it. I'll put this in the show notes as well, but, uh, it looks like this is actually like the last news that I had seen was they were in talks. They were, you know, thinking of developing. It looks like this is getting off the ground and it's actually going to be coming out in 2018. So, uh, we have that to look forward to. I would imagine probably coming out around October of, of next year. So that's exciting. This is a lot of news on the John Carpenter wire. It's almost like October is just his month. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's, and, and, you know, I had to, I had to cut out several other things. I mean, there've been, because he's got the anthology coming out because he's got the tour coming up. He's been doing a lot of interviews as well. Um, I might, I'll, I'll collect some of those and put those, uh, in the show notes as well. Um, if you want to peruse and see what I, I love John Carpenter interviews because he's such a like sort of straightforward, straight shooting sort of dude. He doesn't, he's not pompous. He's not pretentious. He just, you know, he enjoys his work, and that's that. Is, would, would you say is he anti-Walter Murch? Or like bizarro Walter Murch? Maybe bizarro. What, what, do you mean, <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Just that he doesn't always talk in metaphors? Yes. Yes. He <laughs> says things directly, and Walter Murch never says a thing directly. <laughs> and and they're, they're both kind of, in my head, like taller, he, he white is, hair. He is to Walter Murch what Werner Herzog is to Terrence Malick. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the best uh, i got but i think that's a pretty good i i think that in a merchian way is a pretty good metaphor yeah uh so are you ready to uh rewatch christine and review it for everybody chris oh uh you mean ready to pay penance for my cinematic sins because uh chris. i just watched christine for the first time this week oh man man i'm just i'm just so happy for you i wish i could have watched it for the first time this week let's do this she is seductive She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure. Evil. She is Christine. A 1958 Plymouth Fury. Possessed by hell. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine. Body by Plymouth, soul by Satan. I caught a lot of flack on episode five for never seeing Halloween. And, and I get it. It's the classic horror film. And while growing up, everyone catches it on TV at some point. Well, not in my house. That's because we always had a different John Carpenter horror film playing on the tube. My parents may have flipped right past Jamie Lee Curtis running from The Shape, but they never failed to stop and watch that Plymouth Fury rendering revenge upon anyone bold enough to leave a mark on her curvaceous candy apple red body. As one of my dad's favorite movies, I've seen Christine countless times, and I've always assumed that it must be universally recognized as one of those classic horror flicks. Production began on Christine while Stephen King was still finalizing the source material, which hit bookshelves just a few months before the film lit up the big screen, and the two stories differ considerably. 
Released in 1983, at arguably the peak of King and Carpenter's respective careers, this somewhat silly story of a calamitous killer car seemed like a home run on paper. However, like so many films in Carpenter's canon, at the time Christine was viewed as a minor misfire for both the master of horror and the king of horror. I'm too close to judge this one fairly. So, Chris, I'm curious. Where does Christine rank amongst the Stephen King adaptations? More importantly, where does it rank in the Carpenter canon? And most importantly, can you help me understand why anyone would go to a drive-in movie in the rain? <laughs> okay, so I get, let, let's just hit it from the top. Uh, the, the Stephen King canon, I would probably put it somewhere between either Dead Zone and Shawshank or maybe Shawshank and the Green Mile. Somewhere oh, like that. I was going to rank it between uh, the very top of the list and The Shining. Just right there. The t- no, not quite there. But it, I, I, I do think it's one of the better ones. We'll come back to that. Okay, well, then let me ask you this, actually. Where do you where do you rank against Stand By Me? Oh, I I got to put Stand By Me a little higher. Okay. Because I just, I really love Stand By Me. But um, I also think of, like, the Stephen King horror stuff a little differently than I do his I guess that's more of like a coming of age or just a more realistic, grounded story. So they're harder for me to compare than, against something like The Shining. Sure. And then to answer your, your second question, where does it rank among Carpenters? Um, and being that I am still working my way through all of his stuff, uh, the stuff that I've seen, I, I don't know, I'd probably put it between, say, Big Trouble and Prince of Darkness, probably. <sighs> You didn't like it. I, I hey, I didn't say I didn't like it. We can we can get we can get totally into this. But uh, let me answer your third question first. And I I think there's an obvious uh, answer to that, and that's you go see a, a drive-in movie in the rain because the same reason you go see any drive-in movie uh, because you have ulterior motives. Oh, like you want to show off your car. You want to show off your car. Exactly. Yeah. You want to get some alone time with your car. I get it. No, I, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the rain really, uh, the real, rain really helps in that too, I think. Yeah, it does. Until somebody comes and pulls your girl out of the car, starts putting hands on her. Trying to save her, man. <sighs> That's not what I saw when it was going down. He could have been trying to hurt her. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into this. Um, obviously, Christine is a holds a, a, a strong place in your heart. I mean, we're we're at a sort of we decided we're going to do okay. We'll do two Carpenter Shop episodes in October dedicated to John Carpenter, and then we decided okay, well, let's each pick a movie that the other hasn't seen mm-hmm. and and do that because it, it would be a fun you know uh, war crime tie in. And so obviously I picked Halloween because I had to pick Halloween because you hadn't seen Halloween. You picked Christine. Why? Why Christine? Why was Christine? Because obviously I had to pick Christine. You hadn't seen Christine. I I didn't think it was I didn't even think it was an issue. I didn't know that this movie was not just a a beloved classic like I always thought of it. I you know, I it's interesting that you say that. I do think a lot of people have either been catching up with it for the first time or revisiting it um, since since it came out. I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of letterboxed um, uh, logs of Christine. The other thing could be with that music video coming out, it's just putting it back on people's radar and they're saying, oh, I need to see that one. Yeah, maybe. And maybe, I mean, maybe Carpenter's coming back on people's radar as well. Maybe it's, I mean, it's hard for me to gauge whether it's that I am just consuming so much more and it may be a combination of both or 
um, the fact that because he's got an album coming out and all this, like there's just more news about him, but it does seem that, uh, I am seeing him pop up in the conversation quite a bit more, but, um, let's, let's steer this to sort of the obvious. So you asked me where it ranks among, uh, King's, uh, adaptations and Carpenter's work. What about, um, sort of this, this feels a, like a fusion, you know, it's, it's definitely a John Carpenter movie, but it's not entirely a John Carpenter movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a Stephen King movie, but it's not entirely a Stephen King. Movie. Right. So where do you, where, I mean, where do you feel it lands with each of those? It, it, look, I really like it. I, I can't give an unbiased opinion of it. Uh, I think it does a lot of a lot of things right, and some of those things it could not do today. What do you think of the use of a uh, language and dialogue in this movie? It was um, I was honestly shocked because mm-hmm. it's not the type of thing that you get that much in a John Carpenter movie, and it's not you right. know it's not that he totally holds back and keeps it squeaky clean, but um, it was it was pretty abrasive. So my initial reaction to this movie. I guess we'll, we'll finally get into, I'll, I'll stop keeping you in suspense. Um, that opening scene is incredible. It's the perfect way to kick everything off. And it's the perfect staging for like watching it. It just feels immediately like, Oh man, I'm watching a John Carpenter movie the Mm -hmm. way like it's, it, it feels like classic tried and true filmmaking, but at the same time still feels fresh and vibrant. Yes, uh, you know, and you know, back to the thing that I keep, uh, keep harping on with him being sort of the perfect sort of blue collar auteur. Um, it it has all of those feelings uh, to it. So I was the hooks were in me from the very beginning. And that's interesting that you say that because that is not in the book. Uh, in the book, the previous owner of the car. Um, essentially possesses yeah. the car. There's a whole zombie sort of thing or ghoulish sort of thing going on, right? Like right, the, the previous I, owner is like a dead body inside the car that's haunting it or something. Is that? I, I thought it was just like a, a bitter old man who just kind of poured his soul into the car, and then Arnie kind of becomes that old man. Well, but I think I think his spirit is actually in it or something. And there's yeah. like there's actually like a decomposing body inside the oh car. really i didn't yeah, see something. i didn't know that because i'm i'm the i'm the movie guy but but carpenter uh made this scene just to show that right off the assembly line christine yeah. was a killer car which i love well and that, that's the perfect way i mean with a movie where you've got to chop everything down and get it all you know this is this is under 120 minutes um it's it's a very efficient way to say okay, we realize that we are going into bizarre territory with a, and it's silly territory mm-hmm. with a killer car movie, but let's just rip that bandaid off real quick and establish it with one perfectly executed scene and get going. I, I, there's so many things that John Carpenter does well in, in this scene. Um, did you pick up on that shot on, I guess it's like the driver's side uh, mirror when it's going down the assembly line and it just focuses on the mirror and you see the, um, I guess like the assembly line worker walking down the guy who's about to get his hand crushed in the car. Yeah. It's a, it's a point of view shot seeing what Christine sees. She's looking out of those mirrors and the fact that you can pick up on it that early in the film on what is just a static shot in a mirror that, that is a really creative way to get that across. And then we start seeing things that, could be accidents, could be Christine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it leaves it vague enough that you still have some fear of how Christine could kill a person in a car. It doesn't 
immediately show you. And and that's also sort of the through line of the entire movie. I mean, with with Arnie, the the whole question is, well, is Christine killing these people or is he killing these people? And it leaves is enough he even in wiggle Christine? room. Yeah. Um, yeah. It leaves enough wiggle room there for it to be debatable, at least up until the end, which I, I really appreciate is he, you know, he knows that that actually adds a little more mystery to it. Um, that's great. But we, we get out of the, the cold open and then we, um, I think it goes, isn't it cold open then credits and then, um, uh, it, it's, it plays that buddy Holly song. The, um, I'm going to say, tell you how it's going to be yeah, that yeah, one. And yeah. then it cuts on that to a, uh, like late seventies cover of, uh, of that oh, song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. that he's li- that, um, Oh, not Arnie. The Cougar. other one. Cougar. Cougar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think they had call signs in this movie, Chris. <laughs> he'll, he'll always be Cougar for me. No, uh, Dennis played by John Stockwell. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, to Dennis driving down the street in his, uh, in his blue car that he, uh, pulls up in Arnie's driveway to pick Arnie up. So that's kind of how they tie him together. And they, uh, they, they use the titles at the bottom to show you, you know, 20 or so years have passed. Right. That's right. Okay. So it's, it's not a cold open. It's just credits. And okay. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm getting off in the technical weeds here. Um, but, uh, then, and, and I will say when Dennis is introduced with his car, um, there's something about the way that they shot, like Dennis only comes up to the edge of the driveway mm-hmm. and his car is kind of in shadow, very beautiful, meticulously, uh, uh, composed carpenter style shot. If you, if you like cars at all, this is a beautiful movie to watch. It- well, and, <laughs> and you know, Carpenter does consider it a love story basically between Arnie and Christine. Um, which if you, so when you say, if you love cars at all, you might, you might want to qualify exactly what you mean by that. <laughs> okay. Not loves cars like Arnie loves cars. Okay. I did think it was interesting that in directing it, the car's kind of shot like a woman, you know, yeah. like you would shoot a woman. And Keith Gordon has said that when he was touching Christine, he would imagine what part of the lady he was touching because that's, oh. his, that's his girl. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's creepy. It's creepy. <laughs> There's actually there's a pretty good commentary with Keith Gordon and John Carpenter, um, at least on the Blu-ray. Um, that's and you know John Carpenter he's he's good about doing commentaries on most of his films. He's not necessarily he's not David Fincher where um, you know he's not necessarily the most insightful because he's not a guy that loves talking about himself and loves saying like oh well the reason that I did this and and they actually because Keith Gordon has gone on to become a director, you know, as well as an actor, uh, they kind of get into some of that, uh, also. And he has like practical advice for, for Keith Gordon with like interviewers. When someone says, you know, um, were you intentionally doing this? He's like, yeah, just repeat what they said and then they'll love you. <laughs> um, it's like, so this, you might not get a ton of insight, but it's a, it's a really good commentary track, um, that, that, you know, keeps up, uh, keeps up the pace throughout, uh, really solid, but they, they do get into talking about, you know, that relationship and how he really tried to approach. And there's, there's a couple of scenes that are really intimate between, him in the car. And it's interesting how you buy into that because I think it's, I think it's because of the, the, the slow slope of Arnie descending into madness that like, 
he's he's a totally different character by the end of this movie from from where he's at the beginning. And so you just sort of with those incremental changes, you sort of buy the ridiculousness. I mean, and and that's that, that's what that's what I wanted to ask you. Keith Gordon, I think, does a good job in this movie. Yeah. Do you no, buy I, him as the nerd? Do you buy him as the possessed 50s greaser bad boy at the end? And do you buy it as a love story b- between him and a car or is it just too ridiculous? So I buy it as I, I don't know if I would say love story. I the the place where I kind of landed on this is I feel like she's honestly kind of a femme, femme fatale in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the way I mean, because just the way that she is. Um, and I love that we're referring to this car as a character, but she really is the way that she, uh, is very possessive of him and the way that she manipulates him. It's really, there's, there's a bit of, there's a bit of noir going on in this story. The fact that you refer to the car as a, she, and as a character is a testament to John Carpenter, not to Stephen King. Stephen King does a good job building the story, but it's how she shot, how she interacts, and 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 that that is a testament to Carpenter. Well, and okay, so let's get into this. So, um, I I think ultimately, like, there's there's a lot of weird and crazy places this goes. I mean, with like with Arnie, you know, yelling at his parents and and uh, fighting with his dad, and like there's these these big melodramatic moments, or or when he gets really angry at Lee, um, that play as you know a little over the top, but it's also like. I think Carpenter has basically insisted like from the beginning we're we're dealing with a killer car movie. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that things are going to get funny and weird and just come along with me. And so I think, I think he weaves that web pretty well. Uh, the place where I had the most problem with this film is really in the beginning, probably the first 40 minutes or so the establishing after that, that uh, not cold open, but that opening um, scene where I was a little uncomfortable with it for a while because it like basically once it gets into what 1978, it feels like it's going to be like this male gaze sex comedy for a while. You know, uh, Arnie, I was thinking, uh oh, <laughs> no, seriously. Now that we're going to be seniors, I figured it's about time that we uh, that we got you late. You know, like this year, huh? Huh? I need a girl to get late. Well, what about Gail Justin, huh? Oh, Gail Justin yeah. Case? No, I, I don't like her mustache. Oh, fuck you, Arnie. I mean, what do you care if you get a little hair in your mouth, huh? Okay. Uh, how about Sally Hayes, huh? She's cute. She's a sophomore. So what? She's a walking sperm bank, Arnie. I know. Come on. Well, I don't think I have the minimum deposit to open an account. You know what I mean? I... Are you kidding? You carry your life savings between your legs. Come on, Arnie. I think maybe I'll just beat off. See, I, I thought it was more like a, a a dirty horror John Hughes. That's sort of what it feels like for me. Like, I think they're trying to make these characters more maybe realistic or authentic or, or they're doing something. I, I didn't quite think it was at the sex comedy level, but when... But when Dennis is at the school with his friends and trying to walk up to Lee and talk to yeah. that bordered on it. I, I understand that. Well, and even even just the like locker conversation, which is such a like it itself is such a cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like those little things. Uh, I, I understand like in the whole scope of it, why 
why he sets it up the way that he does. But it feels like, and maybe it's partially because it doesn't feel like the movie that I thought I was going to get. Okay. Um, but it, it, it feels like it's sort of out of a different film. And part of that also might be the fact that, you know, there's, you, you asked about the language earlier, like the language is pretty hard and rough in this. And I wasn't expecting that either. Um, mm-hmm. from what I understand, it was like a studio dictated, like we want this to be a hard R. Um, so they were going for, you know, a porkies or, or that sort of thing as far as the, the pitch for it. And then in the background, you have this crazy, uh, horror thing going on, which it's, you know, it's sort of, it's a horror premise. That's not necessarily really a horror film. We can get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so I, I feel like, you know, it might be diminished a little bit by, by some of that stuff. Not, not terribly, um, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't kill the whole thing for me. I think ultimately in the end it works. And as you said, that's a testament to Carpenter. Um, but it was, it was a little bit of a rough start for me. I think that does the biggest job of, uh, joining Dennis and Arnie together as, uh, f- as friends and relatable. And they have that. He, he's not just a charity case for them. They're friends. They have a, a dialogue. They speak back and forth. They speak a similar language. And, and you buy, you buy Arnie and Dennis's friends. I do. Okay. Uh, was that for you something like maybe they're not? Um, at first it was, it sort of just felt like the, it felt like it, well, it it was in the script, so we're doing it. But I do actually think as you get to, I guess, see Dennis a little bit more and see that he cares about Arnie, Mm -hmm. it becomes very obvious that he's not just the jock. Um, and, and so that's the other thing is like, he's, you know, while he might be playing in stereotypes, he's not relying solely on those stereotypes. Um, and I think I think that works. Yeah, he just sort of sets them up as being he is a jock type, but then he establishes that relationship, especially when they go down and fight um, uh, or 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 almost fight fake John Travolta. Uh, <laughs> with, can, can we what was his name? Buddy, I think. But Buddy Repperton. Uh, Buddy Repperton. Yeah. Um, all of those all of those young thugs. And I guess like you could make the argument that, well, they probably flunked out of a few years, but they all look like they're in their late 20s. <laughs> Yeah, I I think Buddy Repperton was older then than I am now. <laughs> Probably uh, so. Just just packing a switchblade, looking like a greaser. Yeah, and then what Moochie, what was the other uh, the guy that gets chopped in half, spoilers. Um <laughs> Yeah, Moochie. He, he he also looks like while he looks a little like younger, I think partially because he's just chubby in the face, he also looks like he shouldn't still be in high school. No, but they were troublemakers. I thought I thought the same thing. They're troublemakers, uh, yeah. but they are they are clearly just playing in typage right there. Like, who looks mm. like the worst kids? These sure. kids, these guys look terrible. Sure, straight up. And uh, that's you know, Carpenter and and Gordon talk a little bit in the commentary about how like they were all like the nicest dudes. Like they're they're nothing <laughs> like their their characters on screen. So that's that's good to know. I will say the iconic image from this movie for me is the flaming Christine Carr chasing oh down gosh. Buddy Repperton. Yeah. And also the most effective horror in the movie, in my opinion. And the most Carpenter part of the entire thing. Like, yes. And that's honestly like another, another like thing to add to my list of complaints. I feel like it does. And, and I guess this ties in, but it takes a while to get going. It's not really until like 40, 50 minutes in when Arnie has made his transformation and mm-hmm. Christine starts going on her killing spree and all of the, that it begins to feel. And, and then you get that. Um, that great 
moment after Buddy and his friends have totally destroyed Christine mm-hmm. and she rejuvenates herself and comes back to life. <sighs> um, yeah. Like that's, that's when it's like, oh, this is the movie that I wanted to see. Um, I, and, and I think it's like, I get it. Like you have to, I think if you get into that too early, then you don't, you probably don't buy Arnie and mm-hmm. his transformation. So I understand it, but this, this is a tough movie because it, to, to sell it, you have to go slow, but yeah. it's a horror movie and you want to see that stuff earlier in the film. Yeah. My argument to counter that would be Halloween didn't start slash until pretty late in that movie either. No, that's true, but it but it's building up the suspense throughout where it's not mm-hmm. like you don't have Christine stalking early on. Like right. that's the thing. Like and and once she starts stalking, it's great. Like I mean there's the I can't remember who she's after, but she's uh she's following a guy and it's it's dark and I think you just see his headlights and you just hear Buddy Holly. It's another Buddy Holly song just like mm-hmm. Coming from the uh, coming from the speakers. That's when uh when she's uh when she's under the, the interstate looking thing chasing Mo- Moochie. Is that what it is? Okay. I think so. Yeah. Um. And, and I I'm not sure. I don't think it's under the interstate. I want to say it's in a neighborhood, but I could be I could be wrong on that. Um, Maybe. But that's that's the creepiest Buddy Holly has been since uh, probably we need to talk about Kevin when they used every day and the, uh, I think it was actually, (laughs) now that I think about it, I think it's actually Halloween. I think every day is playing and there's kids like knocking the, knocking on Tilda Swinton's door for, you know, to trick or treat. And she's just losing her mind. I thought Um, you were going to say this is the creepiest buddy Holly has been since he was played by Gary Busey. (laughs) I've never, I've never actually seen that. I guess that's a war crime. (laughs) I don't know. I haven't seen it either, but I bet it would be fun to review. Maybe we could do a double feature with Elvis. (laughs) Maybe, maybe so. Um, but let's, we, let's talk a little bit about that, uh, about that garage scene where Christine comes back to life. Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I've seen the special effects before I saw them in Blu-ray this time, which is the best I've ever seen them. They look fantastic. It it looks great. You know why it looks great though. Do you know how they, do you know how they pulled this off? Yeah. I went and read about it after I saw it this time. Okay. Why don't you, why don't you tell us though? Well, so, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious if you're kind of paying attention and, and maybe, maybe it's obvious for me because I, you know, I work in editing, so I kind of see how, but, um, everything's played backwards mm-hmm. and, um, Carpenter in the, in the commentary even says like, uh, it's, it's poor man's reverse because they actually shot it upside down and then they just flipped the negative, um, <laughs> when that, so that they, well, so they didn't have to do an optical because at that time right. you couldn't, you couldn't just digitally flip something. So yeah. they shot it all upside, upside down, flipped the negative and that's how they, Um, that's how they, they pull it off. And then they have like these giant hydraulic, like winches or cranes or things that, that just smashed it. Uh, the place, the place where I think it's most obvious what's going on is when the mirror breaks, because Mm -hmm. it's very clear that it's playing in reverse. That's the only Um, one that I could tell as, as the little giveaway. I did read something else about it. They, they didn't, that car that gets, uh, uh, the rejuvenation car or whatever was actually a plastic that looked more like metal on camera than the metal did. Oh really? Like, yeah. It, it's some sort of other material they had and, and the hydraulics like pull it from the inside to crush it, which is uh, interesting. Like, pull it okay. Yeah. Because, yeah really- he, he didn't get into that, but that, that makes sense. Uh, no, it, and it looks like it looks really good when it's, you know, um, when it's not, there's not a clear, obvious telltale sign. Uh, but it is still like, it's a little bit poor man's, uh, David Cronenberg, but I'm okay with that. 
I guess. I, I still think it holds up. Also, John Carpenter loves shining those big old bright lights at the camera, and I think it works so well. Well, it's it's so it's so effective at just creating an atmosphere and then also creating a, you know, it it it's sort of it, in a weird way like feels like you you understand the soul of the of the entity, the creature, the whatever Christine is. I also think it's impressionistic light uh, lighting. Yeah. Which is not something like subjective lighting. Like that's not how it's lit, but that's how you need to feel like that car is shining on you. It needs to have these big runway lights pointing at you. Yeah. Yeah. A, a little just quick factoid about the car. So they had 24 of these Plymouth Furies. Uh, 17 of them were fully functional cars. By the end, they only had two that, that survived. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I was doing some math on this. This movie cost, I think they said $9.7 million to make. I read 15% of the budget was just on these cars. <laughs> then I divided it by the 24 cars. Each car cost one Dark Star. <laughs> That's they, amazing. They, it rounded out to about the same exact number. So each car was a Dark Star. So they their budget was 24 Dark Stars just in cars. Just in cars alone, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And apparently, apparently, yeah, they were, you know, they weren't terribly easy to find. And, you know, Keith Gordon talks in the, uh, in the commentary as well about how, um, it was, I guess it was a push button, button transmission Mm -hmm. and those were known to go out. And so they had, they had several problems with like, it just wouldn't go. And I think there was even a thing with in the, uh, the gas station scene, which we should talk about that next. Um, the, uh, stunt coordinator guy, um, I think he pulled like maybe pulled the car in reverse and then went to put it in drive and it just died. It just wouldn't like, that's going to be a terrifying, a terrifying yes. moment. And then they had to, you know, shut it all down and get him out and, and, and all of that. But apparently like the car was kind of haunted. Like it just, sometimes it wouldn't, it wouldn't go. It wouldn't do what they wanted it to do. Look, I, I know that this was, uh, what was this? 83. Yeah. Um, when it was made, this still seems like a good picture for $9.7 million. They made oh, yeah. that go a long way. I mean, but that's Carpenter always, always. He he squeezes every single penny out of the production for everything. I mean, you know, and, and we've talked about this in a lot of, we talked about this in Dark Star, obviously. We talked about this in Halloween. We talked about this in uh, in The Mouth of Madness. Like mm-hmm. he, he does, even, even in Prince of Darkness, which was a smaller movie, but it was on a tiny budget. Like he knows how to get everything that he wants out of as little as possible, which is a really impressive feat. And it's, and honestly, that's one of the things that makes me wonder, like, why, why are people not just offering him? Like, why is Blumhouse not saying John Carpenter will give you whatever you want, or we'll, we'll give you this, um, this amount of money. And you can just make whatever you want with it. I don't understand that. I, I don't either, but I, I think horror movies are almost better when they don't have a big budget because you're yeah. forced to be creative and and yeah. only show what you need to show. And I think this movie did a great job of, especially with the early kills on Christine, mm-hmm. not really showing it, but you felt it. You didn't see Moochie get chopped in half, but from what you did see and what you heard later about them yeah. scraping his legs up off the ground with a shuffle made it a terrifying kill. The image yeah. was terrible and you yeah. didn't it see was- it. It was just enough. And, it, and it's also, I think it's really effective when, you know, he gets back in that, that little bay and that little moment of Christine not being able to make it in. And then the tenacity of her pushing through and destroying herself yes. just to get that revenge is, it's so good. It's and so I, good. I love that you never know if Arnie is in it. 
yeah. or not. And we still don't know. But in my head, he wasn't. And even this time when I'm watching it, I'm like, ah, that's Christine's going to kill him. Arnie's not a killer. But when they get to that warehouse scene at the end and we finally get that shot of Arnie Cunningham in the car, kind of lit by kind of a pale blue light, it made yeah. me jump a little bit because I I forgot that they showed that. Well, and, and I think it's, you know, it's obviously not that Arnie was the, like, I feel like Christine is a character and Christine is behind the murders. It's just that she needed Arnie to, she could rejuvenate herself, but she couldn't drive herself. She needed, you know, a wingman uh, to to do it for her. And she's, she she's was the femme fatale. Yeah, she's no, the femme exactly. fatale. Okay, let's let let's talk about this uh, just a little bit about the the garage fire. I mean, you you touched on it's it's great. It's like it is it is the type of thing that I want out of a John Carpenter movie, and it's so well executed. It's so beautifully shot, and it's so like you're you're right when when Christine is chasing Buddy down that mm-hmm. uh, down that street. So so super effective and so evocative. Um, just just top notch filmmaking. In, look, in, in, just in that moment. Look from from the time that um, that Christine starts following Buddy, all yeah. the way until he gets run over. I think that's perfect. I love how Christine rams or Arnie, whatever you want to say. Christine rams his car, and he he's like, "Oh my God!" They hit you know they he's so mad they hit his car, mm-hmm. and how not even like a whole minute later he's running for his life. Like his priorities get changed. So quickly, yeah. and the way that it all plays out of the one wreck to the second to the gas, it's it's great. It's all shot great. It flows exactly like you want it to flow, and a lot of it is done in these longer shots that you just get to watch it explode and all. It's not confusing. Yeah. It's not tricking you. It's showing you what's going on. It's workmanlike, but done with a purpose, and I think it is a really great scene. Super effective. Super effective. Real, real quick. We, I guess, we never did circle back around to. So, what do you think of this as a King story, as a King adaptation? Hmm. Well, it's hard to say. I know that they started production on this before he finished the book, and yeah. I, I looked at the book and I was like, I'm going to read this before the show, and then I saw it was like 700 pages, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? And so I did not read the book. Yeah. Um. So it's hard to grade it as an adaptation, but just against other Stephen King stories. And that's, I, that's sort that, of what I mean. Yeah. Stephen King stories that have been adapted into movies, regardless of how they directly relate to the source material. Because we all know that, you know, The Shining was not going to be a better movie if it was more directly related to the source material. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that... um some of the early parts of it where they're just interacting and they're they're it's about high that feels more like something out of um stand by me where mm-hmm. you got these kids interacting and then it's more of the shining how the character slowly spirals out of control and beca- yeah so it's similar to all of those but it's hard to fit it in one bucket or the other for me and it makes it hard to rank I think probably the best ever made is The Shining and the second best ever made is Stand By Me. That's that's probably fair. And I, you know, depending on the day, honestly, I might I might flip them if I'm feeling a little more sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's accurate. And um, for me, this is number three. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do, do, I see, well, what would you list as number three? I would probably list Dead Zone as number three. Oh, I haven't of, of seen the ones, Dead Zone. Of the ones that I've seen. Oh, Dead Zones. That, that's it's, the Christopher Walken one, right? Christopher Walken, directed by John Carpenter. I'm, I'm sorry. Christopher Walken, directed by uh, David Cronenberg. Um, it's really good. And it's like that. It's that weird 
Cronenberg from, you know, late seventies, early eighties sort of time when he's doing a lot, you know, like it's around the time of scanners. I think it's around, I think it's maybe right after Videodrome. Um, really, really good, solid stuff. Uh, Walken's great in it. Um, it's, it's really good and underseen. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. No, I, I definitely want to see that. And and it's interesting you bring up Cronenberg again, because we know he likes car movies uh, or cars or some weird, weird, weird <laughs> love, car stuff. I love wish I hadn't with seen. or in or something cars. Yeah. I don't have, we, have we discussed crash on, on the carpenter shop before? I don't think no, we have. We hadn't. And let's just, let's just leave it out, especially with the uh, scene where she's choking in the car at the drive-in. I'm sure Cronenberg really enjoyed that scene. <laughs> I don't, you know, I think Cronenberg's actually probably a pretty nice dude from from everything that I've I've read and heard. Um I don't think he's as perverse as as some of his films are. Uh but we we can leave that for, you know, when we get into for, the, I, I I don't even know what we would call our Cronenberg. Uh, the Cronencast. The Cronencast. Okay. The Cronencast, yeah. Fine. But uh <laughs> moving moving on, let's talk a little bit about before we get into our uh, our dedicated segments. Uh, let's talk a little bit about just cast in general. So uh, John Stockwell as Dennis, I, I think he's pretty good. He's he's sort of the perfect, like, all-American guy, I guess. H- has he ever been better? Uh, yeah, he was Cougar. So uh, he was in Top Gun. Okay, which means, the, the yeah, two better. minutes he was Cougar was pretty good. Has he ever been better as a leading role? Um, I don't know because I'm not totally familiar with his work. But he, he like Keith Gordon, has gone on to do uh, quite a bit of directing as an adult. He has. I think it's interesting uh, how many people went on to be a director from this because you got Keith Gordon and John Stockwell. Uh, is, is was do you think being exposed to John Carpenter helped them along that path? I I don't I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, he would. I'm sure he would be a great person to mine for information because he seems to be so open and willing for just right. you know. It's not it's not like oh these are my trade secrets. It's just like oh yeah, you do this and you do that. The thing is that I I think the thing about about, about John Carpenter that you can't underestimate is he's he's a guy who knows exactly how and where to put lights and a camera and actors and all of that um so he knows he knows the like uh sort of rubric of well you're supposed to light it this way xyz mm-hmm. but also he has an instinct he has yes. an intuition and that's the thing that defines him it's and it's the you know the the one thing that is just being a proficient uh filmmaker helps him that much more in in aiding that instinct that intuition in ultimately making these these pictures pop on the screen um what what about the the did you think that keith gordon did a good job as arnie yeah no i think i and i think it's a i think it's a tough job to pull off i mean obviously he goes really big and goes in some really weird places and there's there's obviously some some things where it's like i wonder if made today would the costume choices be quite so goofy when because it's like it's sort of, I guess they were trying to make him feel more 50s. Yeah, that's as, what they were going for. The the greaser look, the vest yeah, that was kind of like. But it's but it's by way of the 80s. Like it's like a high school theater who's doing rent in the 80s. <laughs> like that's sort of what he feels like. Um, uh, well, the, only, the only reason I think or the only defense I have for that is I think he even looks out of place in that, which kind of mm-hmm. shows how he's playing someone who isn't himself. Yeah, uh, he's becoming that, but he still isn't. You well, know, a fifties greaser. 
and and I love that it's sort of like she's all that, but with a <laughs> car. Like you know, he he goes from being oh the nerd who no one notices to like losing his glasses and getting some swagger and getting the hottest girl in school. It's basically she's all that, and um, getting the Y receiver killed. Getting the wider seat. That's, you know, that, that is one thing I, the, the whole injury and, and honestly, like it's gotta be, I I think it's gotta be Christine that, that, that pulled that off because she's, Mm -hmm. you know, she's got, he, he's saying that she's so ugly and all of that, uh, before, um, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the, uh, first times that we, we see it. And honestly, uh, you know, Dennis gets off pretty, pretty clean because by my count, there's only three injuries, uh, by Christine, the rest are deaths, and I have yeah, ten. No. I, I have ten deaths that I counted. There might be more, um, but that she she more often than not did not mix words. She just finished business. Yeah, and look, they they came really close. Remember, one more vertebrae or whatever it was, and he would have been paralyzed, or another yeah. centimeter or something along yeah. those lines. But then also, she, his leg was like that was the thing. I didn't fully understand his injury um, until like it. I don't know. It was it was odd. Um, it, it like just that's it, that's a place where and I think I think Carpenter would probably even if you brought it up, he'd be like, oh, yeah, we could have we could have explained that a little better. You know, if 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 yeah. I was to shoot it again, I would have done X, Y, Z. I, I think I think he's you know, he's just the type of that's the type of director he is. He would own up to it and he would, you know, he would be like, oh, well, you see my creative vision was that uh, <laughs> yeah. we were trying to leave you in suspense. One other thing about the pacing of this movie, I really like it. I like how you kind of think it is Dennis's movie a little bit and going to be told from his perspective. And it does come back around to that. But there's a long stretch in the middle where you're just with Arnie and Dennis is out of commission. And I, I, I feel like it works because that separation from Arnie, the more he's separated, the, the more he becomes Christine's man. Yeah. And, and you have to get him out of commission, but I like that it kind of, Went there, went way back, and then came back in. I like that sort of meandering. Meandering is probably not the right word, but I like that it's not anchored to a character. Did you mm-hmm. feel that worked? Or no, I think it works, and I think it's in the service of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it didn't it didn't feel like totally totally weird or anything? And also, like I think they do a good enough job of like exhibiting that their friendship is sort of on the rocks mm-hmm. as well. So no, I, I think it works. What, what about, what about a uh, Lee though? What do you think of the, the Lee? Can- I'm a little more mixed on, I like partially, I don't think she's given a ton to do. And partially like, I guess I'm still just the way that she's introduced yeah. as just the sex pot who I can't remember what the, he said she had the body of a slut. Which I don't yeah. really even know what that she, means. She looks like a girl who gets straight A's, and she something like it was just very odd, very weird, creepy, gross, like early eighties sex comedy sort of stuff. That's the but, yeah. I I did think it it showed like that wasn't a very like he wasn't a very mature person yeah, in general because sure. he didn't even know the right way to sling words together to <laughs> to describe her. That was um, <laughs> but I I didn't think she did great. I didn't think she was bad. I didn't think it ruined the movie or anything. Just, no, I think I think she's she didn't all right. have a lot I, to do. I, yeah, I think it's more for me. Honestly, it's more the character uh, than than Alexander Paul. Um, and then a couple, just two more characters I want to talk about. First of all, Robert Prosky as Will Darnell, 
so good. So, yeah. so very good. And once again, another one of those, like, he's a really big, weird, goofy character. But I, And it's a character that I don't think you can get away with if it wasn't a killer car movie. Like, he would feel too big and too out of place. Uh, but you're given the perfect opportunity to just let him chew the scenery. And it's all great. You know, when I said you could scrounge through that shit pile out back, I didn't mean you could build your whole fucking car with my stuff. What do you care? I mean, you're not doing anything with it. Hey, don't think you got the gold key to the crapper. Nobody takes advantage of me, you understand? Yeah. Mm. It wasn't for me, it cost you a whole shit pile full of dough to put this heap together. I know. I know. Mm. Look. I know you ain't exactly got money falling out of your asshole. If you did, you wouldn't be here. Maybe we could work out some kind of a deal. You, uh, pick up around the place. Do a few lubes. Put the toilet paper on the little spools. Shit like that. Do that, and you can uh, you can raid my junk pile for whatever you want. I, I might even throw in a few bucks. Hmm? I'll have to think about it. Well, don't think about it too long. I'll throw you out in your fucking ass. He's great. I just love watching him yell. I love that he's just got a poker ring running in his garage. It, there's more to him. I will watch his movie. It was it was good. I, I think he, he did. He went big and it was good. Well, yeah. and But he's also, he's got heart as well. He's not just, he's yeah. not just salty. Like he's super salty. But uh, he's also he's got he's got a little little heart in there as well, and he, you know, he cares maybe you could sweep up the place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he's looking out for the guy. I, I I like I like him. I like his character. I like that he grabs his shotgun. Just why would he sit in a burned out Christine? Yeah, <sighs> yeah. He, he didn't need to go. Uh, and I I know who you're saving for last, Chris. Who am I saving for last? The man himself, Harry Dean Stanton. That's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. In his own Plymouth Fury, by the way. In his own Plymouth Fury. Let's actually, I'm, I, I have one more that I just want to touch on. Oh. Uh, Old Man Marley, uh, mm-hmm. who I don't even remember his actual name in this. Old Man Marley is his character, of course, in uh, in uh, Home Alone. Uh, but mm-hmm. the old guy that, that sells Arnie, Christine, so, 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 so good. In, in, my, in my mind, he moved next to, uh, next to the family. Because he'd be selling the place to get a condo. Didn't get a condo. Moved to the Burbs. That's canon. Got a house. Got a, got that, a house. Yeah. It, that, you you can mark it. That, that happened. But he's uh, so good in this. Yeah. He's really good. So apparently in the book, they buy it directly. I want to say they buy it directly from the guy who owned it uh-huh. um, originally, uh, which makes uh, sense a little bit in this story. I think it bleeds over. Um, remember, uh, of course you remember when the guy says it's a new car smells, the best smell in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know how Arnie says a very similar thing later. Yeah. Well, Uh, and you know, I mean, it's there. So in the book, is it just the one guy owned it before? From what I read? Yeah. He had a car. He kind of poured himself into it, sold the car. Okay. And then like 
he the the either the spirit the demon his his mm-hmm. just what he whatever it is whatever supernatural thing it is also kind of turned arnie into that person is how yeah. i took it okay. just from what i read online didn't happen here but you can still see the language from the previous owner getting carried over through his brother uh, yeah well see i i thought it was sort of implied that maybe there's more previous owners than we even know um because mm-hmm. darnell says he knew a guy um but then right uh, Old man Marley says his his brother bought it when there were only 15 miles on it or something like that. But you also notice that Christine runs mileage backwards. So um, it's it's you know, and that's becomes actually a ticking clock to the the end, the destruction where she kills her man and goes on to the next one as a femme fatale does. Um, so I think there might be even more deaths along the line of you know owners that we don't even know about. Yeah, this, it, it could could be, and I like that. I I like that everybody knows a little. Like, oh, I, I think somebody died in one of those. I yeah. think I heard a story. I like that. That's really good. Yeah, he did a fantastic job. I thought he he. I think he only had two scenes, and he pretty much stole both of them. Yeah, yeah. And when he has that blue blazer on in the second one, when he's talking about movie, like it's just he feels so out of place. But it's like you, you're like, oh, I, I see what you're doing there, guy. That's that's real good. That's real. Yeah, good. and I just love the the costume there, just because it, because it isn't just he's in a pair of overalls with no shirt and a straw hat. Yeah. he feels like a more real character. Like you know something's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he he's got his life that he's living off camera. Okay, so let's let's get to the man himself, Harry Dean Stanton yeah. as Detective. Rudolph Junkins, which uh-huh. is a great name. Um, little underwhelmed, not by him, but by the fact that his character is introduced, but really doesn't do much. Was this his first John Carpenter film? I think, wait, no, no. He had done Escape from New York before this. I thought Escape from New York was 80, no, 81. Yeah. 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 Okay. So no, it's not. Although I feel like he looks younger in this than he does in Escape from New York. Yeah, in my mind, I forget that Escape from New York came before this. Uh, he looks younger in this than he did in Alien. And that was the late seventies. <laughs> Look, he he was born old. He was twenty he years was. old and, and looked eighty. He's like he's like Angela Lansbury. Uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, I I just I still think he did a great job. I love I love him as a detective. I wish we had two more scenes. Yeah, I, I wish that was fleshed out a little more, and I'm sure maybe it is in the in the uh, uh, the book. It's one of those things where it's like I I wish maybe he like I don't necessarily wish he wasn't there because Stanton is so good, but it sort of feels it feels like a misfire um, introducing the character but not fully doing something with it. I mean, even if the intent is just to make it feel like the heat is on Arnie, I don't feel like it feels present enough for you to think they're going to catch him, you know, this could be our perspective. Looking back, we know Harry Dean Stanton's a great actor and he went on to have bigger roles and maybe he hadn't had a bigger role. Not, not really though. I mean, I think the only, the only, uh, well, yeah, but uh, okay. Yeah, sure. Bigger roles in like bigger Mm -hmm. character roles. Um, I thought you meant like, uh, like starring roles because I'm pretty sure that Vim Vendor's uh, Paris, Texas, I think, think that's the only thing he was ever the actual star of I, I guess what i'm saying is like we know him we love him we love watching him act it's almost yeah. that he's too big of a star for this uh because you want his character to do more um not star, you know what i mean like you you yeah. want him to do more and that almost works against it because you want this detective to keep showing up if it was some random 
you know, face do that you've never seen, you'd be like, oh, the heat's on and that would be it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the fact that he is so good would just be I mean, I think it would stand out regardless of what what you think. of. But also, like, I think if it was a no name, so and so, like, it would still feel out of place. You might not yeah. remember it as much. But I think it, it's more. It, it would it would it would feel like well that it it would still feel like it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I I think uh, this I think putting him as the cop here is kind of like casting Charlton Heston as a gas station attendant. Yeah. Uh, so overall, overall, what do you think? Like you you thought it was a strong cast? I, I think it's a pretty good cast. I mean, definitely yeah. not Carpenter's best, uh, but I think you know I think Keith Gordon is given a really like I said a really tough role and he pulls it off. Um, we, we didn't mention his parents. His parents are great. They're the perfect sort of, they're exactly what you need for the parents of that character. Um, overall, yeah, no, overall, it's, it's a pretty solid cast. Um, it's, it's not a Prince of Darkness cast. I'll say that. <laughs> okay, but you did leave out the most important thing. How did you like the casting of the Plymouth Fury as Christine? And you better watch what you say about my car. She's real sensitive. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, Plymouth Fury's great. Uh, it is. It is a sexy car. I understand why King picked it out. And uh, it was originally only made in like a cream beige color. The ones you see the other ones on the assembly line. Mm-hmm. That red. Uh, it was apparently a special order for red. Um, hmm. That was never actually made. So the the red, if you see a red Plymouth Fury, it's because of Christine. Well, I mean, you got to get that paint off of Route Six, uh, and uh, I can't give you, I can't provide you got a receipt, receipt or that? give you the details. No, no, I don't. Threw it out. All right, what do you what do you say we get into uh, one of your favorite segments where we score the score out of a score out of a score uh, as always? Yeah, yeah, I know, I like it. I want you to go first on this one though. Okay. so... So and we're and we're not scoring. Remember, we're not scoring the uh, the pop soundtrack. songs that are in this. Yeah, no, and that's and that's exactly the pop songs. The soundtrack of this this movie is they're the thing that I remember about that. You know, the music of of the film. To be perfectly honest, I think the sound the the score of this it feels like a lot more underscored. Like basically that mm-hmm. that theme song that we got. Uh, a, a new music video for is basically the most noticeable, recognizable piece of music in this. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to mention this up top when uh, talking about, you know, they're re-releasing this on vinyl. Like I would much rather them be releasing like a, a bit of the score mixed with the soundtrack as an album, because there's just not a ton that sticks out to me. I think, I think it is, it's not a Prince of Darkness situation where I think it's, a little like lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like, I think it does its job very well, but it's maybe a thankless job. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It's not yeah. like there's just not those, I mean, especially coming off of just talking about Halloween, mm-hmm. there's nothing that sticks in your mind that you can just like immediately pick up and start humming or, or uh, jingling to, to someone. Yeah. We're on a similar page on this one. Okay, this the, that surprises me. Like I thought, as, as you're you're setting it up, you just wanted me. You knew that I was going to going to come off a little, <laughs> little dark and wanted to attack me on it. No, what what I'll say about it is, I think it's super effective. I think it does what it's supposed to do, and I think if it were if it were too big, it would compete with the soundtrack. Yeah, no, that's more. that's probably right, and that's I mean that's also maybe you know, and honestly, I think he may even 
uh, grimace at us trying to classify him and, and come up with, you know, these, but it, it kind of feels like the essence of John Carpenter in being able to step back, let the, the, the soundtrack really is the hero of the music in this. And so mm-hmm. he doesn't try to overpower and get, get in its way. Um, he just aids where necessary. Um, so as far as scoring it out of a score, um, I, I really don't know. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to say because I don't hate it, but I don't, I don't remember much of it. Um, I'm, I'm going to land at, I think like an 11, like, and that's yeah, a, yeah. that's a soft, you know, it's a, I don't, um, there's no Benson, Arizona. No, there, well, look, that could have been soundtrack too. If we yeah, but that, but that was there. original, but that was original yeah, from, right. uh, yeah, sure. Uh, can we call bad to the bone original? It's not original, but supposedly they were the first. Well, they, yeah, they were from what I understand. And, and Carpenter says this in the, I should stop mentioning the commentary, but he says it in the commentary. And then I looked it up and turns out Christine was the first movie to use bad to the bone. Um, and then you've seen it in everything ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, not still not original. Yeah, well, look, I'm I'm still going to give it a uh, 14 out of 20, you know, okay. as a score is a 20, which is, equates to about a 7. And that's because I think it is really effective and it's hard to come down it, it hard harshly on it for me just because maybe I don't want to pop it in the CD player and drive around, although that would be the best way to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um it still does its job well. Yeah. E- even if it's not memorable and not a classic. I have no, I have no malice towards it. I just, I, I don't have any fond memories of it either. I guess. Yeah, I couldn't hum it right now. I couldn't hum it. And that's, and that, that's where like I'm coming out above the like if if it was if this was Rotten Tomatoes, it would have a, it would be fresh. Yeah. Technically, but you know, it's it's also. Um, it, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. Um, it's, it's fine. It is what it is. I think it does its job. Well, it just isn't exceptional beyond that. And maybe it doesn't need to be. Like I said, it's, it's when something just works really well, it's hard to grade. What about Clash of the Carpenter? Okay. So this is an interesting one. So last we spoke, uh, we had, well, reigning champion, RJ McCready, um, who, comes from the the very first round where we had him go up so the thing obviously the the first um and i guess i should explain clash and carpenter because maybe there's there's new folks uh clash and carpenter we take a badass a john carpenter badass from each film that we review and put them head to head against the reigning champion so it's sort of this this ongoing death match uh, the very first film we reviewed was The Thing, so obviously R.J. McCready came out of that as uh, the the first champion by default. And then he went on to defeat Victor Wong's Professor Howard Barak in Prince of Darkness, the creepy innkeeper Miss Pickman in uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, uh, you mean Happy Gil- Gilmore's grandmother? Yes, <laughs> Happy Gilmore's grandmother. Um, and then he went on to defeat Bomb Number Twenty in uh, in Dark Star. Which uh, there was a little little debate there, but uh, ultimately he uh, he won. And then we come to Halloween, and he goes head to head against the shape, and we were at a standstill. I voted the shape because obviously, like the shape seems to not be able to die. I voted R.J. McCready because because of his hat. 
not just because of his hat. He took on a, a whole, his whole, everyone he knew turned into aliens, okay? And he made it through. Look, we don't need to have hash it out here. People have voted on Twitter. They are wrong, and they voted for the shape. The shape wins by a narrow, narrow margin. Uh, yeah, I will say, you just, you just made a more compelling argument for R.J. McCready now than you did last time. Well, I've been just sitting around thinking about it, watching people <laughs> vote for the wrong person on Twitter. I've had was, time. It was back and forth, though, man. There were yeah, there it, were a number of times. There was, I mean, there were. R.J. McCready was up by a larger margin than the shape ended up winning by. So that's that goes to show, like, just how how close this was. But ultimately, uh, R.J. McCready's reign is no longer. I'm sure it will not be the last time we see ooh. Kurt Russell. Um, but now the shape is uh, is is our new champion. So. We have a new champion going up against a new challenger in it's, I mean, it's Christine, right? It's, it's Christine. Gotta be, it's gotta be Christine. It's not, it's not going to be buddy, uh, Repperton. Um, no, yeah, it's, it's Christine. <laughs> and, and to be perfectly honest, I'm super happy about this because I think the shape versus Christine is a more interesting and compelling thing to argue than RJ McCready versus Christine. Yeah. They're both kind of forces of nature. They both yeah. kind of feel a little supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. They both seem to be dead and then don't die. Yeah, I know. I know. So, where do you where do you come down on this, Jake? Look, I don't think I need to say it. I think it's RJ Mc... Uh, is he not a choice? <laughs> He's not um, a choice. Dang, it's Christine. I think it's Christine. They they would is, fight forever, but but I mean, Michael Myers is a human, I think. Yeah. So he would just die of old age. Christine's going to be around forever. Yeah. That's that's a that's a solid argument. Also, how's he how's he going to kill Christine with a knife? They went and they they did everything to they pooped on the dashboard. Yeah, I I think I'm with you. I think as much as I fought for the shape in the last uh, in the last battle, I think I'm going to go Christine as yeah. well. I mean, Christine's going to be really hard to beat. That's that's the like. There's it's going to take another well. I don't, I don't uh, want to project. I don't want to project. We'll talk about other ones when it when it comes, but yeah, it, it's going to uh, be tough. But yeah, it's it, I've I've been toiling over this with if if the shape does win, like how how do I and and I think you you say it well. I mean, it's I think it would be a a knockdown drag out fight many 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 times when you think okay that's that and it's over and then you have the alien in the escape capsule where suddenly Christine sneaks around the corner in the creepiest way possible. And some sort of, some sort of ironic, uh, doo-wop song comes on. Look, the shape spends a lot of time standing around outside, which is the worst place, the worst place you could be. That's, that's true. But also, also, I mean, the, the, to the shape's credit, he has that like undefinable speed where he, you never see him move, but you see that, you know, you you look away and then you look back and he's instantly gone. It's like a cat video on YouTube. <laughs> so it's it's Christine. It's Christine though. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's got it just from a I and and what where I'm ultimately coming down on this is like a sheer volume perspective. Mm-hmm. Like that I mean they're they're basically neck and neck as far as abilities. So I'm thinking, you know, a giant, massive Detroit built muscle car um, versus a man. Yeah, it's probably yeah. it's probably Christine. Also, um, really quick comparison on the two characters. I feel like Christine and the shape are really similar 
in the film. I almost like Christine better because while also still being a mystery is kind of has more character than Michael Myers to me, but uh, doesn't have the sense of humor of Michael Myers, but she does never dresses up as Bob. No, no, she did not put on some glasses over, <laughs> over her blanket. I mean, there, there were some real missed opportunities I, for, for funnier commentary from her radio. I, 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 they still had some good stuff with the keep on knocking, but you can't come in. Yeah. 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 Uh, she, she had some, she had some good stuff. And uh, uh, I think that Michael Bay ripped it off for a Bumblebee later, but I can complain about Michael Bay on another on another <laughs> yeah. podcast. No, so I, I actually spent a good part of the week thinking like, what kids movie used this? And then when I realized it was Transformers, I was just sad. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a cool device. And then it it's is. just Bumblebee. And then it's just Bumblebee. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are declaring it in favor of Christine. Let me let me just pitch this to you now. We haven't really discussed this. What do you think about putting up a poll and seeing what the uh, Cult of Carpenter says? <sighs> they were wrong once, but I'm I'm willing. I'm I'm just glad that they picked the shape because it's going to be a better better poll online. The shape versus Christine. Yeah. No. It's it's a more like I I think it's a more even match. Uh, I, so hopefully hopefully it comes down to a a real nail biter poll. So, okay, I will, uh, I'll put this up. So I did a Twitter poll for the last one. I'll do the same. Um, check the show notes or check the Twitter at, uh, at WSAM pod and, uh, vote for who you want to see advance in this clash of Carpenter round five. Uh, do you want it to be the shape or do you want it to be Christine? And we'll, we'll see if, uh, the audience comes to a different reaction than we do. But now it's time for the big question. Oh yeah. The the Carpenter Canon. Where in John Carpenter's body of work does this fall? Would you consider it a Carpenter classic, a deep dive, or for the really bad ones, just for Johnny's mommy? Well, I've never met Johnny's mommy, Jake. <laughs> but I think it's for uh, you know, it's it it's it's for more than just just his mommy. Um is it a deep dive? Um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I, I mean, there's no suspense in yours. So I'll yeah, it's Carpenter draw, classic for me. Yeah. I'll draw my suspense out as much as possible. It, it's mm-hmm. a Carpenter classic for me as well. And not because it is a perfect film. It's definitely not his best in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and not honestly, not close to it. It's not a bad film by any means. Um, but I think the, what makes it uh Carpenter classic is the unique quality that it has it's it stands out in several ways Mm -hmm. in the he like at least of the and maybe there's something that i'm totally like because i mean i will admit with christina i wasn't expecting several like a lot of the qualities that it had so maybe maybe there's something that's going to shock me as much um again but it's not like it doesn't feel like any of his other films and so i think for that and for the fact that by the end it's it's fairly well executed for the super, 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 super silly plot that we have. Um, I'm yeah, I'm going to go Carpenter classic as well. Yeah. I think it's fun watching him direct it. I think it's fun seeing how he made it work as well as it did. I think it's an iconic movie. Um, Maybe, maybe more so in the Graves household than the rest of America. Maybe so. Uh, And and look, I think, that a lot of people drive some uh, red Plymouth Furies now. They paint they paint them red for reason, Chris. Uh, it, it's a famous. It's one of the famous movie cars. It it is 
a Carpenter classic, even if it maybe is a little further down that pile. Yeah. What's on the sure. top? What's on the top of your pile right now, by the way? You know, the thing is always hovering around there. And I know, you know, I, I went back and listened to our review from last Halloween and mm-hmm. I, I was honestly, I feel like I was a little more down on it than I, than I should have been. I think, you know, comparing, I think I compared it to a chicken fried steak and said that it's, you know, it's absolutely perfect for what it is, but not necessarily a thing you want to be eating every day. And maybe that's, that's a poor characterization. Um, I, I mean, more importantly, I think the thing is a damn near perfect film of, you know, its rank. Um, but honestly, for me, it's sort of depending on the day, it's between the thing, which has been basically from day one, my go to carpenter film. And, and I think for a lot of people as well. And in the mouth of madness, that has still been the right. greatest discovery from doing the carpenter shop so far for me yeah of what we watched so far it's the thing and then in the mouth of madness for me but i i, I, w- I would put christine a little ahead of in the mouth of madness personally okay uh, but just because of because of my love for it, it okay. it's and and it's out of that of the uh we haven't watched a lot of that what i would call like peak carpenter yeah. films yet yeah. and this is in the the, the carpenter's zone me. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely I I feel from basically from Halloween through to they live for me is like mm-hmm. the Carpenter sweet spot. Obviously, maybe really it's uh, Escape from New York to the to they live if you want to get really. I mean, because like you got something like the fog coming um, mm-hmm. between between those two, which I, like we've said on the show before, like I honestly just wasn't aware that I needed to see it, and so I hadn't. Um, but that, that mid, mid to late eighties carpenter, or I just really guess mean eighties carpenter, um, is when I think of John Carpenter, or at least before when I thought of John Carpenter, what I immediately went to and thought of. And, and it definitely feels like it belongs in there. Well, have a beer. Don't be shy. My car's your car. Toast. Death to the shitters of the world in 1979. Oh, come on, Arnie. I can't drink to that. What can you drink to? What about to us? You know, to friendship? Oh, friendship. Right, that, that's good. That's, that's real good. So when you hop in your friend's car and he's clearly been possessed by a demon and he offers you a beer that he's drinking while driving, what kind of beer do you hope that would be, Chris? Well, it's not going to be Southern class. I'm not sure that's even a real beer. I've I've never come across this. That's no, what, that seemed like a Let's Potato Chip sort of situation. Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, it's a it's a good name. It's a better name than Let's. Uh, All right, fine. Well, if you're just going to sit around and watch Christine, what should you be drinking? Um, well, Jake, I, I announced on the last episode that it's, you know, the month of October, so I need to be recommending Oktoberfest beers. And uh, I picked up a, and, you know, also I like to do local beers when I can. And I picked up a, a local Oktoberfest from a uh, brewery here in Houston that I hadn't tried before. And I was like, oh, this will be a, this will be a treat. I, I love trying out new uh, local breweries. Um, let's try it out. And it was bad. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was glorified, but heavy, um, which I mean, but heavy is drinkable, but also not necessarily, uh, it's not, it's not an Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest is supposed to be, it is the, it is the pumpkin spice for my kind of person. If that makes any sense at all. Like it is a, you look forward to the Oktoberfests coming out. 
because they're they're these richer, uh, full bodied as I as I said about the uh, about the Saint Arnold on the last episode. They're they're really solid, great, generally across the board, great little beers. Uh, so I'm I'm calling an audible now, and I'm going to go with something that's tried and true. Um, not a probably not going to be a huge shocker to anyone, um, but uh, it's it just seems so obvious actually. Um, so I've, I've spoken on the podcast before about how, uh, Spetzel Brewery's Shiner line is sort of my favorite of the, or not sort of it. It is certainly my favorite of the macro breweries. It is the real working man's macro brew and they make a pretty solid Oktoberfest, the Shiner Oktoberfest. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily one that sticks out with a, oh, it's got this specific particular characteristic that you're just going to love that you can't find any other Oktoberfest beer. It is, it is a, um, across the board checks everything off. It's, you know, it's sort of like, like what I was saying about John Carpenter's craftsmanship in that opening scene. It's sort of that to this style. It's everything that you want, nothing that you don't, um, perfectly delicious and drinkable. And, you know, it's got, it's got that body. It's got that sweetness, uh, really, really solid. You could do far worse going, obviously, uh, judging by that. I'm not, I'm not even going to, uh, defame the, 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 the brewery, but, um, you could do far worse going for an Oktoberfest beer. So I recommend when you sit down and watch Christine, you do it with a Shiner Oktoberfest from Spetzel Brewery in Shiner, Texas. You can catch Christine to rent or purchase from all impeccable purveyors of motion pictures. And I just want to real quickly for sort of a PSA throughout here. I'm not sure uh, what the quality situation is for Christine on like digital um, platforms. I know with uh, I got a like an ultraviolet copy with my Blu-ray and went to watch it that way because it's a little bit easier than going and picking up the disc, putting it in and immediately realized, hmm, this seems to be in uh, one seven, eight to one or 16 by nine. That's not what John Carpenter shoots in. This must yeah. be cropped. And, uh, so the, it was, and it, and it looked a little, you know, it had that sort of like stroby wobbly thing of an older film that hasn't been fully restored. So you might look out for, um, you know, if, if you're looking to rent it, uh, it might be, you know, check your local library or check to see if you can, um, if you can, you can get your hands on a disc, the Blu-ray, I will say looks pretty superb. It, it really does. It, it's funny because, uh, you sent me that PSA, Chris, uh, yeah. saying, oh yeah, it's, it's in 16 by nine. It's cropped. And I just reply with like, oh, thanks for telling me. And a picture of my Amazon order of Christine on Blu-ray. Yeah, it was, it was no more than five minutes later. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't put up with, with crop movies. It's why I don't <laughs> watch Wes Anderson movies on HBO go. Oh my gosh. It's just not going to happen. Awful. <laughs> All right. If you've seen Christine, hit up our assistant, Henry Swanson, at Express at carpentercast.com, and he'll relay the message to us. And even if you hate email as much as Jake hates rock and roll, we'd still love to hear from you. So you can ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at WSAMPod. And don't forget to vote in the poll for who would win between The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers, and Christine. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with my recap of Week 7 in the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League Summer Season. Melody, calm you just like me. Throw 
time for the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League Weekend Preview. Each week, Chris and I compete with you, the listeners, in a fantasy sports-style game to best spend a thousand imaginary bucks to fill a virtual eight-screen cineplex with real-world movies where the weekend box office determines the winner. If you aren't already playing along, it's never too late to join. Visit wsampod.com slash league to sign up and get all the details. Let's dive into our preview of week eight of our fall season. What if Groundhog Day was a horror movie? That was the $5 million question posed by Blumhouse last weekend. And, like Split and Get Out before it, this bet paid off. Happy Death Day is the story of a girl who lives out the same day over and over. But also there's a murder, and she has to stop him from killing her. On its opening weekend, the film grossed more than $26 million, covering its production budget more than fivefold and making it a surefire hit. But that doesn't mean anything in the land of Fantasy Movie League. With a steep price tag, Happy Death Day only grossed about $74,000 per buck, which is about the same as Kingsman Golden Circle and American Made. But none of those could match the Jackie Chan sleeper hit, The Foreigner. Last week's perfect Cineplex cocktail consisted of just two ingredients, six screens of Chan plus two screens of Tom Cruise in American Made. If you played that, you were in rare company alongside just 415 other Cineplexes. Now let's take a look ahead to this weekend. Tyler Perry dons the drag once again in Boo 2 of Medea Halloween. OG Boo was last fall's surprise Halloween hit when it launched with a low price tag and managed to anchor the perfect cineplex with four screens. This year, the pricing team put Boo 2 at $411, and it is just daring you to play two screens of Boo with five screens of either My Little Pony or Victoria and Abdul, and, and literally leave the last screen blank. You can't do two screens of Boo and fill up your cineplex this week. So Chris... Do you think Tyler Perry strikes gold again, and will it be enough for the BP? I think we may have a situation kind of like Happy Death Day, where, I, I mean, Boo did really well last year. I mean, all things considered, if you look at it up against, you know, like the summer movies or up against the, you know, later, um, more Oscar bait fare, um, it you know, it, it doesn't hold quite as, as much, but amongst, you know, the, the films of the, the late October, um, it did pretty well. I imagine boo two will do well as well, but I'm not biting at this 411 buck price. tag. I don't, I don't think so either. I think the, uh, pricing team 
went ahead and set it so high because they got burned last year underestimating it. And I think they overestimated it this year. It's going to do well, just not enough to justify that when they got four other movies coming out that you could play. Yeah. You know who didn't get burned last year with uh, Boo, a Medea Halloween? Uh, who was that? This guy. You're smarter than all of us, Chris, and you're probably smart to avoid it this year, too. And I'm I'm pretty sure I called it on on the show, and you're like, ah, no, no one's going to see that. People, you did. People I, turned out. I said it would not be enough, and I was wrong. Uh, what else What else we got coming out, Jake? Oh, uh, so also lighting up Cineplexes this week is Only the Brave, a story about hot shots fighting wildfires starring Josh Brolin, Miles Teller, and Jeff Bridges. With the active wildfires in Northern California, do you think this now timely release sees a bump in the box office? I couldn't get over Miles Teller trying to look like Mark Zuckerberg in this trailer. <laughs> why did they Why did they have to dye his hair kind of blonde? I don't, I don't know. I didn't even really recognize him when I saw him. What, what I, I just don't think people are going to be like, oh, that's a really timely disaster movie. I don't know. It, this might be one. This might be one that you end up, you know, catching on HBO and you're like, oh, that was actually that was actually pretty solid. But I don't know who's turning out for it this weekend. No. Yeah. Uh, they they had a free screening in Baton Rouge, and I just didn't even bother. Hmm. Yeah. Well, up next we've got Geostorm. It's a Gerard Butler vehicle that looks like the worst parts of Armageddon, The Day After Tomorrow, Live Free or Die Hard, and National Treasure got together and made a baby. That doesn't sound that bad, really. <laughs> well, you <laughs> you you have a, a strong affinity for Armageddon. I've never talked about how much I like National Treasure. Keep going. <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. Well, to I mean, I think it's a clear sign that Warner Brothers dropped this summer disaster wannabe in late October, Jake. Uh, and then just dash off a couple of short trailers to run during football games, hoping to find some sort of audience. I really don't think this movie is going to do well at all. So if if you think it kind of looks good, Jake, are you brave enough to anchor your Cineplex with four or five screens of this mess? Because I am not. Look, you're being harsh about them dropping a movie in October. There's lots of good movies came out in October. Not in not in this sort of like it. This feels so cut and paste. Like. <sighs> Uh, it was a joke. I can't think of any good movies from October. <laughs> Not a single good action movie has ever come out in October. It, it's actually a wait. It, it's horror movies or like really early Oscar bait. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Blade Runner did come out in October, so let's not... Uh, and Blade Runner was great, and no one saw it, and you should see it. Everyone should see it. You should see it on the biggest, loudest screen you can possibly find. Um, because this is... Blade Runner is the... I mean, we're not even talking about Blade Runner as a new release, but Blade Runner, let me just interject real quick, is the type of movie you can only see for the first time once, and you should see it for the first time once on the biggest, most beautiful screen you can find. Look, I know you said it should be the biggest, loudest screen, but I don't know if my neighbors are going to let me into their house to watch TV. <laughs> do not watch this on a TV. <laughs> Go see it in a theater. End of PSA. What else do we have coming out, Jake? Okay, I, I have a question for you. Okay. Is this a Mad Lib or an actual movie plot? Michael Fassbender stars with J.K. Simmons in a horror thriller about a murderer who leaves behind snowmen. Isn't this directed by the guy that did the... Not English uh, girl who Millennium Trilogy uh, movies. Is that right? Is that also a Mad Lib? Yes. Because <laughs> this this was an actual movie and it's called The Snowman for some reason. Yeah. I, even watching the trailer, I, I wasn't really sure if it was a horror movie or like a thriller that looked scary. So they dropped it in October. Uh, like, I, I'm not sure. Is this a fake movie, Chris? You know, it's it's got some signs, but I, okay, no, it was Tomas Alfredson, so his brother 
did the uh, girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, the girl who played with fire. Is that what those are? I should have added that in the Mad Lib, directed by the (laughs) brother of the guy who directed the girl with the dragon tattoo. No, I mean, he did did let the right one in, which is a fantastic little vampire movie. He did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I know is not everyone's cup of tea, but um, I really enjoyed... um, I, but this doesn't look or sound good. And, and there, I think there have actually already been like, uh, like articles coming out about like what went wrong with the snowman. So that's not a really good sign. No, I look, it it is a horror movie with a horror movie name coming out in October, but I just, there's been a lot of competition in horror this year. It, It would be worse though, if it was like they tried to make it, what if it was Christine, but with a snowman? <laughs> Don't say nothing bad about my snowman. You know he's sensitive. <laughs> yeah, to heat. <laughs> and and they just got to get a flamethrower to kill him. Wait, that actually might be how this movie ends. This movie's going to have a flamethrower in it. R.J. McCready just shows up. Oh, it's all Lord. over. <laughs> what else we got, Chris? All right. Well, our last new release this week is... Same kind of different as me, which stars Greg Kinnear, Renee Zellweger, her new face, and John Voight in a feel-good true story about a man who befriends a homeless man and I assume learns a lesson about his life. Um, I don't care about the price. You shouldn't play this. Um, this is the one that feels like a fake movie. Like this is like, yeah, th- this movie had a free screening in Baton Rouge and I chose not to go and see it. Another free screening. Was it a, was it a double build with only the brave? Yeah. We don't get like real movie previews. We just get same kind of different as me and only the brave. That's where Baton Rouge ranks. Well, only the brave doesn't look nearly as bad as same kind of different as me. No, it doesn't. I, I actually, I, I know I, I, I said I didn't see it. I actually would see this, like you said, on HBO or something. Uh, only the brave. Same kind of different as me will never, ever be on my TV. So, Jake, do you know what you're playing this week? You got any prognostication yet? Uh, yeah, I, I have something right now. Uh, I'm at seven screens of Blade Runner and a screen of it. It leaves like $47 left over and it's not great, but I don't really like any of the new releases and I don't think Happy Death Day is going to do well against Boo. And Boo is overpriced and that just leaves Blade Runner. Yeah. And I might go and see it this weekend. So You should go and see it this weekend. Everyone should go and see Blade Runner this weekend. Blade Runner is fantastic. And and, and I'm going to go and see it in the... Uh, cinemark xd screen that's how i saw it i really enjoyed it first my first xd experience um i don't you know i I don't know really what's extreme about it but it was uh it was good nonetheless um i i i'm looking this week at um i figure we're we're getting real close to halloween so i know this is going to be like a, a bad lineup just because i've got so i've got four happy death days um which is not really cheaply priced at what 202 bucks this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a buck above only the brave, but I think it's going to remain strong. And then I've got two of it, which is going to those two are competing and undercutting. So this is a bad strategy. And then I'm rounding out with uh, Kingsman, the golden compass circle circle gnome. Um, <laughs> and, and then finally Victoria and Abdul, because those fit into my zero bucks uh, budget. That's not a great lineup, Chris. It's a, it's a bad lineup. I know it's a real yeah, bad lineup. That's not good. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I just got to bet on Blade Runner because I think there's one more weekend before Halloween. And if you want to see not 
a horror movie, you got to go and see Geostorm, which just looks like a cluster. So you're banking on everyone who's not seeing a horror movie. Is that what's going on? I'm, I'm, blank, I'm banking on if you're not seeing a horror movie, you don't really have any choices and you're finally going to catch up with Blade Runner because nobody's really saw it yet because hmm. they've been seeing it. and they've Yeah, been but I, I don't think anyone's going to catch up with Blade Runner. I think that's the, that, that's the real travesty here is like... Not a lot of people are seeing it on the big screen, and they that's how you need to be seeing it. And the ship has sailed. That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that, that's why I'm saying, like, right now, see it while it's still on the big screen, because you will hate yourself later if you try to catch it on on HBO cropped down to 178 to 1 and... With, I mean, you need because you need the you need the sound, you need the visuals. I mean, it's Roger Deakins, man. Like, I'll see anything Roger Deakins shoots just to see what he shot on a giant screen. That alone was worth it. But it's, I mean, it's remarkable. It's great. If you still need more FML in your life, catch my weekly recaps and predictions each week on the War Starts at Midnight blog. And if you've got a hot take on the next Perfect Cineplex, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at WSAM Pod. Hang in there, kid. We'll be right back with some really rad recommendations you won't want to miss. It is really red recommendation time once again, and it is our last Carpenter Shop episode of October. So don't let me down. What do you have to recommend this time? Well, I like car movies and I like Kurt Russell, uh, <laughs> which, you know, kind of kind of gives pretty close to my John Carpenter love. Both of those things. If you combine those two, but you don't include John Carpenter, you end up with Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof which uh, was originally part of Grindhouse uh, and is one of the movies that I hear put down all the time. People are like, I liked uh, I liked Planet Terror. I didn't like Death Proof that much. Yeah, they're wrong. Those people are wrong. You know what it is? Those people set through an action movie where a woman had a machine gun for her leg first and then saw three amazing trailers or four or whatever it was, fake trailers, and then they set through a, a kind of talky movie. A yeah. really good talky movie. The the opening is is a bit of a slog. I'll give you that. No, I'm with I'm with you there. 
but it makes up for it. This movie ends up being really rewarding. I'm eager to watch it again because it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, I saw it the first time and then I caught parts of it on uh, TV here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. I really like Kurt Russell's character, but I like him and everything. He is just one of those stars that no matter what he lands in, I'll watch the movie. He's so great in everything. Um, which, you know, part of that is just John Carpenter made us fall in love with them. Yeah. And you know, when you said, uh, Kurt Russell and cars, I thought you were going to go with, uh, 1997's breakdown. You ever seen that I, movie? I have not seen that. Is that good? <laughs> it's not, it's not great. It's one of those that <laughs> I catch on like HBO every once in a while. Um, at least I, you know, I can't, I honestly can't say I haven't seen the whole thing, but it's like his Jeep breaks down the middle of the desert and then he's, you know, it's like, uh, I think he's looking for his wife or something. And it's like a man at wit's end sort of, sort of film. Um, I mean, Russell's good in it. It, it feels very nineties though. Yeah. His pairing with Carpenter is, is one of, we haven't got to, to do one since the thing, but I think it's one of the greatest pairing of actors, directors. We'll touch on this way more later. I think he's very good with Tarantino as well. Yeah, no, very natural. So yeah, it's, it's available to stream on stars, voodoo, iTunes. You can stream, uh, the grindhouse, uh, the whole grindhouse event on stars as well. Um, and, and tell us what you think about it and do not be afraid to admit that you were wrong when 2007, when you saw it the first time, it's, it's been 10 years. You can change your opinion. Yeah. If you thought planet terror was better, you were empirically wrong. I'm just going to say it. I do really like planet terror. I love to go head to head with those two movies one day on here just right. so we can it's, talk about them. It's fine, but it, it's got the, well, well, yeah, we'll talk about it some other uh, time. We'll save it. What, what, what are you recommending, Chris? Well, I am recommending, I was going to, I was going to recommend uh, Tales from a Halloween Night, but since we talked about that up top, I decided that uh, I, I'm going to recommend something else that is uh, directly John Carpenter related. Oh, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to do Duel. I thought you were going to go with Duel. You know, I thought about Duel and I thought Duel was just too obvious of an yeah. of a recommendation. Although, like, if you haven't seen Duel, you should see Duel. Duel is a made-for-TV movie that Steven Spielberg made in the early 70s, I believe. Um, you know, before Jaws, before all of that. And it is way better than it has any right to be. Um, it's, it's really good. I haven't seen more than just clips of it in like Spielberg documentaries and stuff. Oh, you need, you need to see it. And you should also see that Spielberg documentary that just dropped on uh, HBO. It's really good. Not my recommendation either. I am going with Halloween three season of the witch, uh, a movie, which, you know, as we spoke on the last episode, I, I had never seen until catching up. Like I, I, I had some time and it's October. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to watch this thing. Did Carpenter produce that one? Carpenter. So Carpenter's executive producer on everything. And as you said last time, that just means he gets a paycheck, but he was more involved in, in this one. And I think in two as well, which I actually, I skipped over to because I knew I could, because Michael Myers is involved in this. Wait, it's a Halloween movie that doesn't have Michael Myers in it. Wait, you don't know this? No. Oh, okay. Let me explain this to you. So after two, and I think, I think Michael Myers dies in two spoilers for two, but I think he doesn't do his whole comeback from the dead and resurrected and, uh, and disappear. Like I think he's, he is dead, dead, dead. Yeah. Yeah. And so Christine beats the shape. Keep going. Yeah. So <laughs> Christine beats the shape. Um, so then John Carpenter, uh, tries to pitch like, okay, well, what if we make this sort of a Halloween anthology series anthology once again, um, where every Halloween we make a new movie with the title Halloween and then, but it, but it's completely its own standalone thing. And then people after, and I think it's because you got a Halloween too, that was a Michael Myers Mm -hmm. movie. 
um, people go out to see it and they're angry. They are upset. <laughs> um, Michael Myers isn't in this movie. It's a weird movie about like a, I mean, really what it is, what Halloween three is, is it's sort of, if someone took a James Bond premise, but then set it in a creepy world. Ah. Um, and so it's got, it's got a lot, it's got a great villain. It's got a lot of subterfuge and, and sort of, uh, and it's also got like this weird little, like, you know, you know, the, the horror movies where it's like the town that just isn't quite right. Um, hmm, it's like got the that fog thing, that we're going to watch pretty soon. Like, like the, the fog that we're going to watch. Um, so it's got, it's got a lot of great horror tropes. It's a really fun movie. Carpenter did the score for this and it is so good. Like on a, uh, technical level, I think honestly better than Halloween. It's different than Halloween too. It's its own thing hmm. completely. Now, I love the, I love this idea. I love that, that Halloween could have been an anthology of just like, like tales from the crypt sort of thing. I, I totally agree. And you know, in the back of my mind, I'm not keeping, I'm not holding my breath, but I I've been thinking, well, what if, uh, you know, John Carpenter's on board with this whole David Gordon green thing. Maybe it'll be kicking off, uh, some sort of thing anthology thing there maybe they start with michael myers and then move on but i I feel like you have a better shot at communicating what you're doing these days and i feel like probably a studio got in the way of the other stuff back then and like it's how it's halloween make it look like halloween in the trailer so people come and spend money yeah but like i said not holding my breath on that but that would be amazing if that's what they did but this is a great little standalone uh horror film it's it's a lot of fun um and yeah so carpenter i think was involved in story a bit uh actually written and directed though by tommy lee wallace who we talked about a little bit on the uh the halloween episode he was the editor of halloween he was also the director of the it miniseries and uh a couple other things that i I can't think of off the top of my head um but a, a really fun um, you know, it's, it's not like a super creepy horror, horror film, but it's got, it's got a lot of fun, like horror elements to it. A really, really great score. Um, and one that like, you know, I, I hadn't ever sat down to watch the whole, the whole shebang, the whole thing, because, uh, not many people recommend it, but, um, it's, it's a, I, I recommend you see it out. It's great. There is a uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray, as there are so many Scream Factory releases of John Carpenter stuff that um, is loaded with special features. You can also stream it on Stars or rent or buy it basically everywhere else. I think actually right now it may and it's probably not going on by the time this goes up, but I think right now it's actually on sale on on Voodoo as part of some like Halloween sale or something. So you might see if you can pick it up there. All right, I'm I'm gonna have to do that. I I feel like I still need to see Halloween two first. No, you don't need to see Halloween two first. It's also available on Stars if you have Stars, so you can you can watch it there as well. That's sort of the next thing on my uh, on my list to knock off. But it's completely unrelated. There's nothing other than I mean, actually, the the original Halloween does appear in the movie. I won't say how, but uh, okay. um, it acknowledges that it exists. Well, I, I, I kind I kind of uh, I wish I had like a Christine two to to push, but the the most we had was this uh, the music video that just came out. Yeah. It, did you like it, by the way? No, yeah, the music video is great. the 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 music is great. Like it's more prominent there than it is in the film. I think. See, when when you said the the only thing like a sequel to Christine, I thought you were going to say Monster Trucks. <laughs> 
No, no, I, I just wanted to bring up the music video. We did first off, just like Christine can never die. Uh, our review will never die, and will go on forever. <laughs> this but, is this is going to be one of the longer longer episodes. For uh, sure. But in the in the music video, I love the idea that uh, Christine is still out there. I, I really <laughs> like that. It it felt not canon, but sort of like you know John Carpenter is still out there shooting this Christine car moving around. Oh, and he's driving it too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I just I just really like that. Uh, but yeah, monster trucks. That that's the real sequel. You're right. The monster, monster is trucks. in the truck. <laughs> All right, Jake. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right, and that's a wrap for another episode of the Carpenter Shop. You can find show notes, archives, and a complete list of where to watch each film in the series at carpentercast.com. And you can check out our mothership podcast at warstartsatmidnight.com. You can say hello to us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WSAMPod. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends, tell your casual acquaintances, tell that cute person at the gym who's always listening to podcasts, or rate and subscribe to The Carpenter Shop on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio programming. It'll help us grow the cult of Carpenter, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and send our assistant, Henry Swanson, a great big heaping pile of anonymous internet vitriol at porkchopexpress at carpentercast.com. Or, if you're a narcissist who simply loves the sound of your own voice, leave us a voicemail and we just might play it on a future episode. Ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The Carpenter Shop theme song was produced by Philip K. Dickey and Dragon in 3. Find them at dragonin3.com. And shout out to the Doomwop supergroup Mr. Heavenly for the featured music on this week's show. Find their newest album, Boxing the Moonlight, merch, tour dates, and much more at mrheavenlyband.com. We'll be back next month when John Carpenter transplants a classic Howard Hawks western from a dusty Texas frontier to the mean streets of Los Angeles in Assault on Precinct 13. Catch it streaming now on Voodoo and Shudder. And don't forget you can catch us in another fortnight on War Starts at Midnight, where we will be discussing, well, we're really not sure yet. We're kicking around a few ideas. It might be uh, Creep 2, which is coming to Netflix soon. Uh, it might be, might be a few other things. might be something very big and grandiose. Um, and, might be uh, Boo 2. Might, might be Boo 2. Probably not going to be Boo 2. Uh, but <laughs> keep an eye on Facebook and Twitter, and we will, when we know what we're doing, we'll announce if it. If you got any good ideas, send us a message. Yeah, sure. And uh, with that, thanks for listening, folks. God, I hate rock and roll. They they did everything. Did they pooped on the dashboard? They pooped on the dashboard. They defecated uh, on the fun, dashboard. Fun fact: My uh, roommate freshman year, who I did not know, went potluck, uh, pooped on the hood of a car um, because he was mad at a guy. <laughs> so that happened. Did the, did the car run him over later? The car did not run him over later. Okay. It should have. <laughs>